Thank you for tuning in to Church on the Rock podcast. We have a great sermon in store for you. We hope this message challenges you, builds you, and motivates you into taking the next step in your purpose with God. Enjoy the sermon. is the enemy in our life. You know, that's why a lot of people are talking about how Satan's working harder than ever before. It's because they're magnifying what he's doing. But if we open our eyes and we take the time to worship him, we'll see that there's a move of God on and that God is working like never before. And so we have to take the time to worship him. So let's start in Luke 7. Luke 7. Amen. So Luke chapter 7. And I'm just going to give a rundown of what's going on here, but we'll start. Let's see. We'll start in verse 40. So Luke 7, verse 40, and just, um, just to condense it for the sake of time, what's going on here is that Jesus is in the city, and one of the Pharisees has invited him into their home. And uh, he comes in, he's having dinner with them, and while they're there, it's a lady that comes in, it's a well-known lady that's a prostitute. She comes in, she, you know, the Bible talks about how she starts standing behind him, and she drips, her tears drip onto his feet. And she begins to wash his feet with her tears and with her hair. And she begins to wash it. And then it says she brings out her alabaster box and that she pours it on his feet. And meanwhile, the Pharisee, he begins to think he must not be a prophet because does he not know what kind of woman this is touching him? And so, and that's the thing about worship. Once again, worship is touching the Father. It's touching him. You know, it's, it's spending time with him. And that's the great thing that we get to touch him because he's made us righteous. But in this, you know, in this time and day, if you were not cleansed and righteous, you had no business in his presence. You had no business touching him. But we thank God for Jesus that made us available to touch him, to spend time with him, to talk with him, to worship him, to sit at his feet. And so he began, you know, she's still worshiping him. And, you know, in the passion, I love that it says that she began to pour out an extravagant love. And that's the kind of love that we should have towards him and towards the body. You know, this is the uh, month of Valentine's of love. And most of the time, the kind of love that is emphasized in this month is the romantic love. But this kind of love that we want to talk about even tonight with our worship is the agape love. It's a love that's not about emotions. It's not about our feelings. It's, an emotion, it's a choice. And so she had to choose to come into this house to worship him. And even our worship, a lifestyle, it's a choice. It's a lifestyle that you choose to live. It's not something God is forcing you that you have to do. But it's a choice to love him back for what he's done for us. And so let's start in verse 40. It says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. And he said, and he said, he saith, Master, say on. And verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave both them both. Tell me therefore which one of them will love him most. Verse 43, Simon said, answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Verse 44, and he turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. And she hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hairs of her head. Verse 45, thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I have came and hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Verse 46, my head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say to thee, her sins were many, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, same loveth little. Verse 48, 
And he saith unto her, Thy sins are forgiven, verse 49. And they sat at meat with him and began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Verse 50. And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. And so we see here this story is very loaded. There's a lot of messages you can get out of this. Um, but I want to focus on the, the worship. And so once again, we see that Jesus begins to break down, um, welcoming him in. Because you can see through the Bible that there were a lot of people that had Jesus in their home, but they didn't welcome him in. You know, you can look at Mary and Martha. That, those were two sisters that they had them in their home, but it was one that really welcomed him in and that sat at his feet and received of him. And then there was one that was so busy. And so right here, once again, it's another story where these are people that they're having Jesus in their home. And, you know, in this generation that we live, it's the greatest generation because Jesus is welcome in anybody's home. He's welcome in anybody's church. He's welcome in anybody's heart, in anybody's life. But it's the thing that he's welcome anywhere, and he's made himself available to come anywhere. But it's about those that take the time to sit at his feet and welcome him in. And, you know, so we see right here that he, he, he corrects him. Like, you've had me in your home, but you didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't welcome me in. And, you know, back in the day, that's how they greeted one another was with a kiss. You know, it's, we won't do that here right now. Wait, no, it's fine. Um, but that's how they greeted one another was with a kiss. And so that's how she, and once again, when I looked at that word kiss, it meant to welcome. So we see that her worship was meant to welcome him in this place. And it wasn't even her house, but she was the one that made him feel the most welcomed and the most loved. And like he said, I entered in. You didn't take the time to anoint me, to wash my feet. You know, that was a custom back then, to wash someone's feet when they come in your house. But he didn't take the time to do that. So we see... We have, you know, at the Church of the Rock, we have the presence of God. But to receive all the benefits that God has for us in this church, the prophecies over this church, it's going to have to be a place of worship, a place where he can enter in and dwell and inhabit. You know, I don't remember the name of the minister, but he talked about the reasons why we don't see the miracles that belong to the churches. The church doesn't take the time to worship him enough. And so we have to take the time to worship him, that he's awesome in this place. You know, like Jacob had to realize that it doesn't matter where I am, if I welcome the presence of God, the place is awesome. So no matter where Church on the Rock moves in this city, God is awesome as long as we make a place and a habitation where he can be worshiped, where he can enter in. And you, you keep looking here and going down to the, the forgiveness part was awesome because that's really a perception. You know, in the Passion, he says, one that's forgiven little will love little. And so that's a perception. If you think that you don't need forgiveness, you don't, won't be able to function in the agape love. If you think that you are already righteous, the love of God cannot enter into your heart. Because he said he shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. But when we get to a place like the Pharisees where we think we don't need the forgiveness of God, or after I got saved, I'm done needing forgiveness, that's a lie. And that's what he's telling me. If you think you don't need forgiveness, you're going to love little. And that's exactly what you did. You had me in your home, and you loved me little. But this lady who came by faith, and that was the thing. You know, I was reading about the different people where God said your sins be forgiven. And a lot of times it was people that needed healing. And the manifestation of their, their faith came through them getting up and walking or their sight coming. Her manifestation came from just being forgiven. And the manifestation of her being forgiven showed up in her worship. And that's why he said, daughter, your faith saved you. It, took fa it takes faith to worship God. It takes faith to receive his presence. It takes faith to know him and to continue to know him. You know, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that takes faith. That I believe that he's entered. Even though I don't feel different. You know, she didn't have a feeling that she was saved. But it was a simple fact that she heard 
that there's a, there's a forgiver in the city. And, you know, and, and going back to what is man, God showed what is man and the authority that man has. We have the authority to forgive one another. We have the authority to be forgiven. And that, that's authority. And that confused the Pharisees. Who is this that can say he can forgive sins? Who is this that can pardon people from their, their, you know, the remission of sins? Who is this that can speak these things? And that's a part of us, you know, going back into the image of God with millions and, you know, walking into all that God has, we have to have the character for it. And love and forgiveness are character builders. And that's the character that we can have to hold the kingdom of God. Because there's so many blessings and benefits that God wants to give to us. There's so much that God wants to expand in our life. But if we don't have the character to take and receive and maintain what he's given to us, it's going to be lost. Like he said, these kind of people, you know, he goes through the different kind of people that the kingdom of God is here, but these kinds of people will not enter into the kingdom of God. And so those that do not know the basics of love and forgiveness, they can be all around the kingdom of God and have God's presence all around them, but they are not those that can enter into it. So like he said, ones that do not see that they need the forgiveness of God, those are the kind of people that will not enter in the fullness of him. You know, because, you know, when I looked at that word sin, it also meant just someone that gets off the pathway of God. You know, a lot of times, and like the Pharisees were thinking, we haven't sinned. You know, we don't sleep around. We don't do this. We don't do that. But yet in their heart, they had many sins. And so he says, if you think you have not sinned and you don't need forgiveness, you're going to love little. And you're going to treat people like that. Not just only God, but you'll treat others like that. But most importantly, God. You'll treat his presence like that when he comes in. It's like, I'm doing you a favor by inviting you here. I'm doing you a favor at showing up at church. That's the kind of heart those that do not receive the forgiveness of God will, will think like. But one that knows that they've been forgiven of even the small details of their hearts of, or even just different habits, that kind of person will, will thank the Lord, will take the time to worship him and realize that he's an awesome God. And there's no other that can forgive sins. And that's why they were confused. Who is this that can forgive sins? And that's only God that can do that. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been forgiven. And for that worship it and praise is due to him and to stay in that you know righteousness is a continual thing it's not just it's something that we continue to walk in and that we need every day to function in the kingdom of God and righteousness means right standing with God you need to be in right standing with God every day and that's through the blood of Jesus we receive that by faith so once again worship it's something we have to do by faith it doesn't matter what we feel like it doesn't matter what things look like but worship is due to him so we have to step outside of what we feel like. Going back to love is a choice. It's not a feeling. You know, it's not about, I just love God so much today, and I'm just going to work, you know, and then the next day I don't feel that love, and I don't feel that much. I don't feel the goosebumps anymore. So, you know, it is what it is. But no, worship is due to him no matter what we feel like because he's the constant in our life. He's been constantly working in our life, moving in our life, and forgiving us. Amen? And so you all can pull up um, those scriptures. And I just want us to read this together because it's so good to put the words in our mouth as a congregation in our sight. And these are great scriptures to read over ourselves concerning healing because one thing, the reason why we had to be forgiven is so that we could receive. And we have to learn how to be good receivers. God is trying to get so much to our generation and so much to us, but we have to be good receivers of that. And so when we're talking about forgiveness, you know, we're talking about worship, but realizing that we're forgiving also takes you into a place of healing. And that's why all those people, when they got healed, he said, your sins are forgiven. Because the reason why the sin was allowed in their life is because they were unrighteous. They were separated from God. And so with our unforgiveness, we couldn't receive the benefits and the love of God. 
But in righteousness, we can receive healing that we need. And it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. We can receive the healing that we need. We can see, receive the finances. You know, Dr. Jacobs always says, I don't want what I deserve. I want what's being offered. And so being the forgiven and the righteous means I get what God is offering, not what I deserve, not what I can work for, not what I can be good enough for, uh, but it's what he's offering to us. And so as a body of Christ, we have to learn to be good receivers. And good receivers will be great worshipers. Amen? So we're going to read this together. Amen? This is different, but we're going to do it, okay? So on the count of three, we're going to read this. Amen? One, two, three. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 15. And so with forgiveness and even going into worship, because the Bible tells us that he doesn't receive our prayers, he doesn't receive our worship, if we have a hardness of heart towards a brethren, you know, so we have to make sure we take the time to, to get our hearts right to enter into worship. A hard heart can't enter into worship. And so that's why this woman, she, she, she didn't have the time to judge anybody or to hold any kind of, it's like, I just want your presence and whatever I have to do, I'll do it. And so she came in there by faith because that was a place she could have been kicked out of. But she came in there with her faith, with her love, and poured out her love upon him, upon his feet, and washed his feet, and poured out her oil upon his feet. And that oil was expensive. It was a, a year's worth of wages that she poured out. And that's why the Bible called it an extravagant love, because it's an extravagant love that belongs to an extravagant God. The next slide. Okay, one, two, three. Blessed is the one whose transgressions were forgiven, whose sins are covered. Amen, and that's us. We are the blessed. We are the covered. You know, and the Bible talks about there's no other love like his that can wipe away a congregation of sin. You know, and that's what that, when I looked, when I was looking up that word sin, it just, it, it meant also an individual sin, but also a congregation. Us right now in this room, you know, we've all been delivered under the blood, but this room, if not for the blood, would hold a room of sins. And so that's why when we come together as a congregation, worship is due to him because he's not just forgiven one of us, but all of us are forgiven and covered by the blood of God. So when we come as a congregation, we can worship him. We can lift up our hands that every single one of our members in this church is not one weak or feeble one among us because we've been forgiven. There's not a broke one among us, a sick one among us, because we've been forgiven. And so the whole congregation gets to go in and experience the kingdom of God. Amen. The next slide. One, two, three. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call you. Amen. And that's the great thing about the love of God and worship, that we get, it's, it's on our part to call to his name. We get to call upon his name. You know, God is a gentleman. He's not going to force his presence in anybody's life. But it, he's already presented his love. He's presented his presence. And it's on us to call upon the name of the Lord. It's on our part to call upon his name and worship him. He's mighty to save. He's mighty and he's righteous to forgive us of all of our sins. Amen. Amen. Next one, just for now. One, two, three. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And so right here, once again, he's talking about it's on our part to enter in through our confession and our, our communication with him. And so we confess our sins, and he's faithful. And so anytime that we mess up, we have to hold our mind. He's faithful to forgive. He's just to forgive. 
And not just stop there, that latter part, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only are we forgiven, but we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. And this is so important, going back to being good receivers. If we have a bad sin conscious and self-conscious of ourselves, when we come into the church, we don't feel like worshiping him. But when we understand that we've been forgiven, and not just forgiven, but cleansed from all unrighteousness, it gives you the confidence to worship him. That's why he said, come boldly before me. Don't come like some, a sinner. Come as a child. Come boldly before me. So we have to remember and put our faith in this. And that's what she heard. The, the woman, she had to hear about the goodness of Jesus. She had to hear that he was a forgiver. She was hearing he was forgiven sins left and right. And she was like, who? Who is this man? Let me go worship him. And so we have to come boldly. And, you know, we see that she heard the word preached, the gospel preached. And she put faith into that. So anytime that we fall short of anything in our life, you know, once again, you know, not just the obvious, you know, because we're, we're called out of darkness into light and we kind of know the obvious sins, but just the sins of even getting off the plan, that we don't have to condemn ourselves. He said even when, when our own hearts condemn us, he's faithful to forgive us. So even when we can be condemned in our own self that I messed up, I did this, we have this scripture to hold up that, no, he's faithful, he's just to forgive me of all my sins, and not just forgive me, but to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So now I can come boldly before the throne, that I can run to the altar and talk to my Father. I can touch the King because I'm cleansed, because I'm in right standing with him. Once again, we will never know a Father that we don't take the time to touch, that we don't take the time to worship him. And so it takes a person in right standing to know the Father. And then through knowing him, then I can know who I am, just like Peter. It was through revelation of being in the presence of Jesus and, and of the Father, he got to know who Jesus was, and then he got to know who he himself was. And so worship is a big part in knowing who we are in Christ. We'll, we'll never get there as a church if we don't take the time to worship him. You know, and it's very simple. You know, the, like the, the centurion, where he told, where Jesus came and told him, if you want to be healed, go dip in the water seven times. And he was disappointed at that simple task. And his servant said, you know, Master, if he would have told you to do something hard, you would have done it. And so the same thing with worship. Worship is so simple. It's nothing hard. It just takes humbling yourself. Stepping outside of yourself. Thou sound like a fool. Does my hallelujah sound weak? Or does my hallelujah, do I have a little crack in my voice? Whatever. No, it's, it's not about that. We have to get outside of ourselves and realize it's due to him and it's something simple. You know, just like if, if God told you to do something hard, there's a lot of people that would prefer to do that. If he told you, go work 30, you know, go work 10 hours a day for two weeks, then the money will come in. So a lot of people would do that. But when he says worship and praise, when praises go up, blessings come down, that's hard for some. But it's very simple. And so our worship is very simple. What God wants to do in our life is very simple. The Bible should not, it's not anything complicated. He said the gospel should be simple. Worship is due to him, that's very simple. And the congregation, it should be done in the congregation. You know, we shouldn't have to, you know, hype, you know, the Bible does say encourage each other, but we should all come on fire and ready to worship God on Sunday mornings. That it shouldn't take, you know, our exhortations to hype us up. You know, that should just be an added faith to our faith that we're already bringing. That should just be an added anointing to the anointing that we're bringing. But we should already come worshiping because we're living a lifestyle of worship. But that's how you can tell those that are uncomfortable worshiping or those that don't take the time to practice that kind of lifestyle. 
You know, if I close my eyes, who's going to be looking at me when I open? You know, it's not about that. You know, it's about worshiping him. You know, and that's why, you know, it's good to close your eyes. It's not just to look holy, but God's given us an imagination for a reason that we can visualize being before the king when I'm worshiping. When I lift my hand, and he said, it's like the evening sacrifice. And it's not, once again, it's just about looking holy and cute. I'm just, I'm, no, it's, it, it does something. You know, worship is a spiritual act, which means it doesn't just touch and affect this natural realm, but it goes into the spiritual realm. And not only does it go into this d- dimension, this level of the world, it goes into the heavens. Amen? Th- th- our worship is not just for this earth. Our wor- worship touches places. It touches dimensions, just like Paul and Silas. When they were in the, the prisons and they worshiped God, it says all chains were loose. But we realize when you keep reading, he wasn't just talking about the physical chains on the prisoners. He was talking about the spiritual chains and the blinders because the jailer that was outside the cell was in chains. He was blind. And so when the Bible says through that praise and worship, all chains were loose, he was not just talking about the physical chains. He was talking about the spiritual chains. You know, because you can read that. I know first reading that, it's like, oh, yes, all the prisoners got loose. No, you're a prisoner if you do not know your Lord and Savior. You're bound if you do not know your Lord. So the only prisoner that was really a a prisoner was that jailer that had the key to let out Paul and Silas. That was the prisoner. But it was through the praise and worship that it said it shook the foundations. And then all bands were loose. All doors were open. You know, so even looking at there's doors that our church and, and there's rooms for our church to get into. For this to be a place of healing, we have to enter into that place. And so we're not going to go through the doors that we need to get into, and the chains are not going to be loosed on the people that need to be loosed in this city until we give God the worship that's due to his name. That worship is very powerful. It it affects so much of creation. It affects not just our Savior. It affects us. It affects our Lord and Savior. And, you know, it, it even affects the enemy. You know, we were looking at that even with the youth. When you look at Psalms 8 where it talks about that he's instilled praise in, the, in even children. And he's talking about the spiritual young. And it says it steals the enemy. That, when you break that down, it says it presses hard upon the enemy. And, you know, there's so many people living with a pressed mind by the enemy. But when you take the time to worship him, it presses him back. Amen. And then it says it puts him in distress. Yeah. Instead of living a distressed day, take the time to worship God. Amen. And then meanwhile, you're doing that, your enemy is being distressed. It says it causes him to be scattered and scant. So instead of you being confused, you can put that confusion on the enemy. So our worship is so powerful yet simple. So powerful yet it reaches so many dimensions. And so we have to take the time to get out of our mind of what we think we, and and, you know, going back to the image. If you're so worried (laughs) about worshiping God and what you look like, you don't even know who you are then. We were created to worship him. That is your image. And so when we get so caught up in ourselves, what do I look like worshiping him uncontrollably? I'm going to look weird. Then you don't really know the real you. Because in heaven, that's all that's happening is radical praise and worship. The angels worship him. So when we come into a congregation that was blood-bought and I'm worried about what I look like, I have no idea what the image of the church is. That worship belongs to him. It's due to him. It's what we were created for. And so when it's time to praise him in the congregation, we're going to get through. The Bible has so many scriptures that talks about praise him in the congregation because it's due to him. God, is, he said he set miracles within the church. 
Those miracles are not going to manifest without us adding our faith. And that's what worship's about. It's about the faith. That I'm worshiping a God that I don't need the goosebumps for. I'm worshiping a God that I can't see because it's due to him. Amen? And so when we're in the congregation, we should come in with a heart of praise. We should come in with a mouth of praise. And that's not a, a choice. You know, that's not, it is a choice to do it, but that's a commandment. That he tells us that the praises of God shall always be on our lips. Yeah. That's not just if you want to, if you, if you want to, it'd be nice if you give me a hallelujah or thank you. No, he's told us and commanded us to worship him, to praise him. Yeah. It's due to him. Amen. Amen. And even, you know, I talked about what it does to the devil, but even without the devil, praise before the devil was even the devil, praise was always due to him. Amen. You know, that is a benefit that it, it what all the things that it does to the enemy and the devil it presses hard upon him. It scatters him. It makes him distressed. It makes him confused. But before he was even that, praise was always due to him. And before we even, you know, even came into the earth, this earth, praise was always due to him. Amen? The Bible talks about don't remove the landmark that your fathers have set. Worship is a landmark. It's something that was always set before the ages, the times of ages. And it's something that is not meant to be removed from the congregation because people feel uncomfortable or because you don't like the song or because you don't like who's up singing. Praise is due to him. Worship is due to him. And so we have to take the time to worship God because it's due to him. Amen. So let's do, let's go to this next verse, Mark 2, 7. Mark 2, 7. And I'm going to read this in the Amplified Classic. Mark 2, 7. And, you know, I'm going, we're talking about, you know, forgiveness because uh, once again, that puts us in a place of receiving and worshiping. And we're getting the mindset of why, why worship is even due to him. One, because he is who he is. But even seeing that we would not be as free as we are without the forgiveness that he's given to us. Amen? So Mark 2.17, it says, why does this man talk that, that way? Because right you know, before this, God, you know, Jesus was in the earth and he just forgave a man's sin that needed to be healed. And he got up and was able to walk as a crippled man. And so once again, these are the Pharisees that are around listening and watching. They're saying, why does this man talk that way? Once again, that's a man. It's, it's not being a bigger man, it's a man <laughs> that's able to forgive. That's who you are. And so he says, why does this man talk that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins, remove guilt, nullify sin's penalty, and assign righteousness except God alone? But we have that authority once again. That's a part of the authority of man, that I have the authority to forgive who I need to forgive, and I have the authority to receive the forgiveness that I need to continue in the righteousness of God. Yeah. Amen. Let's go to this next verse, Matthew 9, 1 through 5. Matthew 9, 1 through 5, and this is, I'm going to read this also in the Amplified. Amen. That God has removed all the things that could block us from his presence. That back here in the old covenant, <laughs> that they, you know, even in, the, you know, the beginning of the new covenant, and, um, you know, that's why we're encouraged that really revival and the new covenant really start in Acts, um, because Jesus is really bringing in the new covenant in the first four books of the Bible in the new covenant, but you see it actually applied in the church where they're able to do the same works that Jesus did, and much greater when you get into the books of Acts. But it's so important to read those first four because you're seeing what a man is through the life of Jesus. Yeah. And so Matthew 9, 1 through 5, 
And it says, And Jesus, getting into a boat, crossed to the other side and came to his own town, Capernaum. And behold, they brought to him a man paralyzed and prostrate by illness, lying on a sleeping pad. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to this paralyzed, to the paralyzed man, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven, and the penalty remitted. remitted. And verse 3, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man blasphemes. He claims the rights and the, I don't know how to say that, prerogatives of God. Amen? And then verse 4, Because Jesus, knowing, seeing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil and harbor malice in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins be forgiven, or the penalty remitted, or say get up and walk? So they, you know, they were mad. <laughs> this man just got healed that's been crippled all his life. And they're mad at the fact that he just said, your sins be forgiven. And he was like, what did you, how did you want me to put it? You want me to say, get up and walk, be healed, or your sins be forgiven? Because they go hand in hand. And so once again, we have to realize that being forgiven makes us great receivers. Because it's not by anything good I've done. It's not by, you know, anything bad I've done. Good or bad, that the righteousness of God is here for us. The blood of Jesus is here for us to receive. Amen? And so once again, this is reasons why we worship him. Because we want these miracles to happen in our congregation when sick come in, that the presence of God in here is in here. You know, that's how even, um, I believe it was Maria Woodworth Eder um, and Amy Simmel-Pherson, and even the Azusa Street Revival, all those moves of God, they knew how to, to usher in the presence of God through worship. I believe it was Amy Simple McPherson that it was a, you know, she, she called out to the congregation that God wants to do a miracle, and nobody came for it. And she kept saying, like, God wants to do a miracle. He's telling me. And, you know, it was a mother that had her baby swallowed up, and well, she came up kind of like, well, is this, you know. Because some people don't know when God said he wants to do a move, they kind of think it, it's some kind of exception to it or it has to be something easy in their eyes for God to do. And so she didn't know if that quali her baby qualified. And she unraveled the, the baby, and it was a deformed baby. And so she took the baby, and she told the congregation, let's just begin to worship him. And as they worshiped God, God showed up to be a healer in that service. And the baby's limbs started to grow out. The face started to form. Because where he's worshiped, he can be his covenant names. Amen. Where he's worshiped, he can show up and be who he is. But if we hold back our worships, once again, being so confused about who we are and what we look like, will miss out on the miracles that he set right here in Church on the Rock. Amen. You know, going back to even Dr. Rogan's testimony of when he got sent out, all of that stirred, his worship that night stirred up the presence of God Amen. for the prophet to speak and to move. Yeah. You know, and God told him, if you don't worship me, I can't use you. Why? Because worship is who we are. It's a lifestyle. So if you don't know who you are, I can't use you. If you don't know how to usher in my presence, I can't use you. You know, and that was a night, and he said, okay, you know, he talks about he felt the presence of God leaving, and he said, wait, and, you know, to himself, and then he's, it's, you know, I know Pastor Diane always loves that story about him, she said, like, his feet started riding like he was on a bike, and he just started praising God on the floor, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, a praise broke out in that service, where, and then the Spirit of God moved upon Dr. Jacobs to begin to prophesy about this church, Amen. about the anointing on this church. Yeah. So without praise, we're going to miss a lot of things that belong to our lives. We're going to miss out on who we are because that helped him identify what he was called to do and to be in this earth. And without praise, we'll miss out on the images that we need, on the visions, the understanding that we need. Revelation even comes through worship. 
You know, it's not just you can study your Bible and then just worship God over that scripture. More revelation will come because in praise he's known. Our praise and worship is so powerful, but yet simple. Amen. And so let's go to, uh, let's see, Psalms 116. Psalms 116. And this is the last scripture I have on my sheet, but we got more up here. Amen. Okay. (laughs) So Psalms 116. And I'm going to read this in the King James. I think that, yep. Psalms 116. And we're going to start in verse 5. Psalms 116, verse 5. Amen. And it says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yeah, our God is merciful. And, you know, pausing there, even in Psalms 8, you know, Dr. Rogan read that some Sundays ago, and it talks about, it says, oh, Lord, our Lord. Those two lords had two different definitions. When I I looked them up, the first Lord was just meant the creator existing one. When he goes in to say our Lord, it meant a lot of personal names that that he is to us. So once again, you know, Minister Caleb brought that up, that praise is personal. We have to understand that my praise is personal. You know, God had to remind the children of Israel because they started complaining (laughs) um, about their, their, uh, their journey. You know, and we're, you know, our praise accelerates things. You know, our our confessions accelerates things. Our profession of faith, it accelerates things. But the children of Israel turned a seven-day journey into 40 years because of their complaints, because of their unbelief. They turned it, once again, because worship takes faith. And if they would have used that journey just to praise God on the way there, they would have been there just like that. And there's a lot of things in our lives that we would be there by now if we would quit complaining. Because worshiping in the congregation doesn't work when you go outside and complain or talk evil. Your speech has to match your worship. And they can't be separate. Those are not two separate lifestyles. It's either one or the other. You either worship God or you're not. You either give glory to the devil or you give glory to God. Like when he said you submit to God and and the devil will flee. He said submit to God and resist the devil. You're either submitting to God or resisting the devil. Or you're either submitting to the devil or you're resisting God. But going back to the children of Israel, they were resisting God and the miracles that God was doing, that he wanted to do in a quick way. And so he he began to talk to them, and he started asking questions. He said, who broke your chains? Who brought you through the Red Sea? Who brought you out and fed you with manna from heaven? Who made sure that your clothes did not grow holes and old? Who made sure that your children, every one was strong among you? He he began to ask some rhetorical questions, because they knew who did it, but they chose to, to, to be complainers and gripers. And we, we can't be a congregation of complainers and gripers, and I'm not saying we are, but just, we, to, just to encourage us to keep doing what we're doing, we got to stay in worship and to stay in a place of, of speaking the word. And I'm not just talking about positive vibes and positive thinking. That has no power. It's the words of God that has power. You know, the, I, I see on social media all these affirmations. That has no power. Some social creator made that up for it to get likes. But it's the word of God that has power for you to confess over yourself and put into your mouth. Once again, the word in your mouth is so powerful because we were created in his image and likeness. It's his breath in our lungs. 
So when we speak these words, we have the same authority to bring to pass what needs to bring to pass. And so when it comes to worshiping him, it's so powerful. And we have to remind ourselves, who did what you've been praying for? He did it. And there's a lot of times we can get into what we've prayed for and then start complaining. You know, you can pray for that new car, you get it, and then you don't take care of it, and you start complaining. So, no, you didn't take care of what he gave you, <laughs> you know? And so there's a lot of things we can get into new jobs. We pray for that job, and then my boss, you know, you can just start complaining. So we have to remember, whatever we're believing for and praising God for, when we get it, you maintain it through your praise. Anything that you get through faith has to be maintained. You don't just get things and think that's it. No, it has to be maintained, your salvation. That's why a lot of people are not receiving their salvation, because they're not maintaining it through their faith, through their worship, through their praise. That what we receive from God has to be maintained. And your worship does that. It's very simple, but it's powerful. Amen? Okay, so let's keep reading. Verse 6. It says, the Lord preserveth the simple. Keep it simple. Have a simple heart. It's simple. What he said I'm going to do. It doesn't matter what I feel like. It doesn't matter what things look like. What he said I'm going to do it. You already have that established in your heart and mind. You keep it simple. Where things get complicated is where you start making up a plan B and plan C and different options. Well, I could do this instead. No, you keep it simple. You, you, are, you know, I always remember Miss Jessica um, at a youth conference. I mean, yeah, youth camp. Um, she was talking about purity, but I feel like it applies to anything. And she was saying the time to know what you're going to do is not in the time to make the decision. You should know what you're going to do before you get there. And so with worship, just like David, the Psalms, there's so many I wills in the Psalms because they're declaring, even though this has happened, but I will praise the Lord. So even before trials come, you should already have established, I will praise the Lord. You should already know what you're going to do before pressure comes, that I will praise the Lord. You should know before you come to church, I will praise him in midst of the congregation. You should already know what you're going to do before the appointment arrives, that I will do this. Amen? And so he says, the Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountiful with thee. Verse 8, for thou hast delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore, I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men's are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What should you render to him? For all his benefits. The angelic help are those benefits. The mercies every morning are those benefits. The new day is the benefit. <laughs> and, and you keep reading verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Praising God is a part of your marriage vows to the Lord. Just like when a couple gets married, they come before the congregation, they say and they promise what they're going to do to one another in the midst of good days and bad days. They start to say that. Before the relationship starts, they already have it established. These are the things that we're going to live by. These are the, the boundaries of our relationship. Words create a relationship. And so right here, this is a part of our vows. So once again, it keeps it simple. So when something arises, I already know what I'm supposed to render in this moment. 
I already know what belongs to him in this day and in this moment. And worship is what belongs to him. That's your vow to him. And the marriage union, the covenant that we have with him, that's our vow. And a lot of times, so, so many people are trying to get God to do with his part, and he's already provided and set it up. But we are holding, withholding our vows on our side to our Lord and Savior. He's our Lord and Savior. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He's our provider. And praise is due to him. That's our vows that belong to him. So just like in a marriage, we want what belongs to us, you know, because a lot of times that's what, you know, or in any relationship, sometimes that's what people bring up the most. They see what the other person's not doing or should be doing for them. And they can miss out, no, what did you say you're to do, you know? I believe Dr. Rogan taught on that. We should all be focusing on our part, what we're supposed to be bringing forth, instead of critiquing what others need to do. And so right here, we're not to be critiquing God. You didn't show fast enough. You didn't do this quick enough. No, we're to do our part and our vow, which is to praise him. Amen. And where do, where do they say praise him? All the time. All the time. Amen. <laughs> but, this <script's> not <laughs> but this scripture says in the presence of all the people. That's Amen. Right. And, that's, and that's included in all the time. Amen. Amen. And, but he says praise him <laughs> in the midst of all peoples. But sometimes that's when we restrain our praise is when yeah. people are around. If Paul and Silas restrained their praise because of the people in that prison, what are they going to think of us? All bands would have not been loosed. All doors would have not been opened. The foundations would have not been shook. And so our vows, once again, they're simple. He makes it simple for us. It's not complicated. And he even tells us hallelujah is the highest praise, so it's not like I got to figure out what to say. No, you just let it flow. You know, going back to Psalms 8 where he says in, you know, that he's instilled praise, when I was looking that up, it also meant, it meant rivers of running water, that praise should just be a flow. Yeah. It's a flow of heaven. That's what's happening in heaven right now is praise and worship. Yeah. And so for us to disrupt heaven on earth through our mouth, that's us breaking our vows. Right. You know, Pastor Nancy has talked about that, that heaven is always offering a higher flow. Yeah. And right now, heaven's offering a flow. Yeah. Even for this service, even for Sundays, he's offering a flow. That I want miracles to be the flow. I want this to be the flow of whatever service is happening. But if we, we hinder it through a, mm-mm, I'm not going to, you know, mm-mm, no. You've got you've to let your praise flow. It's a flow that God wants to get. He wants your worship. Amen. You know, you know I think that's even, a, I think that's in Psalms that he said, I, I'll speak as touching the king. That it's in your mouth. The relationship, you, you'll be as close to God as you want to be. And a lot of times people are thinking, oh, it's the ministers that are close. No, it has nothing to do with that. You can be as close to God as you want to be. And it's through how you speak and through a lifestyle of worship, through your faith. Because going back to that woman, he didn't just say it was your worship. He said your faith saved you. But how did her faith, how was her faith expressed? It was through an extravagant worship of her pouring out and, and washing his feet. So our faith is expressed. It's not about what we sound like and look like. We don't want empty worship. You know, there's a lot of people that can get into that where they can shout hallelujah and they can do all of this and that, but they're not even living a lifestyle of worship and it's not faith attached to it. It's just out of religion. That's not God wants. He doesn't want just religious shouts and, uh, and just to put on a show. It says from a clean heart, he wants worship. Those that worship him in spirit and truth. That's what he wants, all right? So let's read these last verses in ending. 
One, two, three. As far as the east is from the west, so far has his removed our transgressions from us. Psalms 103, 12. Amen. So he's removed it. So we ain't got to worry about the right side of the Congress. No, it's fine. He's removed it from the east to the west. He's removed all sins and transgressions. And once again, about this forgiveness, you know, the Bible talks about that. You know, since we're forgiven, what shall we do? Shall we go back into sin? No. The Bible tells us when we're forgiven, we enter into worship. We enter into living a lifestyle that belongs to him. So with being forgiven, once again, I don't keep going back into it. Like he said, that's like a dog going back into its vomit, where I get forgiven and I keep going back into the same thing. And then you keep wondering, I'm still in the same season of my life. It's because you're hindering yourself. Just like the children of Israel, they stayed in the same place, 40, in the same state of life for 40 years. Yeah. Your praise accelerates things. It moves things along. It causes you to enter into places that you don't deserve. We don't want what this congregation deserves. <laughs> we want what God is offering to this congregation. Amen? Next slide. One, two, three. The Lord is our God. Okay. Even though we have rebelled against him. Daniel 9 9. And, you know, going into, and these are not in any particular order, but going, to, um, going back to sin. Sin is not a sin because you are doing the nasty. It's not, you know, sin is not sin because you're nasty or whatever. You're evil. You're bad. Sin is a sin because it's against God. And that's what, da you know, was that uh, David, where he said, I've sinned against you, Lord. You know, he, he committed a sexual act, and it wasn't, he wasn't sinning just, to, you know, he was sinning to himself and with the, against the lady, too, but ultimately, he was sinning towards God. So once again, praise is personal. Sin is personal. It's, it's towards God. So it's not about, and even if we're, you know, sometimes we can have, you know, odds with one another, it's not even against the person, it's against God at the end of the day. And so right here, he's saying he's merciful, he's forgiving. When we've rebelled against him, yeah. he's merciful to forgive us. Amen? Yeah. Next slide. One, two, three. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 8, 12. Amen? So God is a merciful God. He's a, and praise belongs to him. Yeah. Going back to that lady, this, and he said she has many sins. And it wasn't just the fact that she had many sins. She knew she sinned. And so going back to, we have to realize that we were and never will be righteous on our own. We're standing here today in right standing with God as a congregation because we have a Lord and Savior. Because he died on the cross for us. And that's why she came and poured out her worship to him. Because she realized there was no, there's nobody else that could forgive me but you. There's nobody else that could have cleansed you know what I did, but you. Amen. And so worship is due to him. It's due to him. And you know, so when we're encouraging everybody to worship, we're not worshiping so the pastor can feel like we're, you know, we're doing something. Worship is not for one another. You know, it can bless one another. But who it's for, it's not for one another. It goes to him. Amen. Worship is due to him because he is the one that has brought us out. He is the one that has caused us to still be standing today. He's the one that has purchased our families out of darkness into light. He's purchased this whole congregation out of darkness 
into life. And so now we can reap the benefits of heaven. We can receive the, the riches of heaven. Not a manly rich, you know. We get to receive the riches of heaven. That's a whole nother level. That's a whole, that's a whole different kind of man.